Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yeah. Listen, let me show you how we kicking it. Lacing up my cleats to chase a goal. Being like Beckham, but we never fold. Let me show you how we kicking it. Baby, you ain't working how we working. Scoring like a 10 up on my jersey. Let me show you how we kicking it. Stay up in the field, we going hard. Pray we never see a yellow card. Let me show you how we kicking it. So if your feet can plant it to the ground, we'll go ahead and put your hands down. Let me show you how we kicking it. What is up, you guys? My name is Jess Lazo, and you are kicking it with me on the Women's College Soccer Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Welcome to episode 10 of the podcast. We have a special guest today on the show who is here to discuss her journey as a collegiate athlete and how she is continuing her soccer career at the pro level. So with that being said, I'd like to welcome North Carolina Courage defender Sinclair Marimontes on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me today, Jess. I'm excited. Yeah, of course. So what I wanted to do is start off by going back to your four years as a college soccer player at the University of Nebraska. So from freshman year to senior year, you were clearly an impactful player for the Cornhuskers being among the selected few to be picked for Big Ten all-conference teams while also having the opportunity to go to the U.S. U19, U20, and U23 national team camps throughout your college years. You obviously excelled at the collegiate level. And there's so many other honors and awards I can list as well. So my question for you is, how were you able to accomplish these achievements throughout those four years and have an overall successful college career? Um, I think one of the biggest things for me was that I was somebody who I I knew coming in day one that I wanted to be the best player that I could possibly be, whether that, you know, only took me through my four years of college or helped me get to the pro level. I I had this mindset that every single day I was going to get better. Um, and I think one of the qualities that has, has allowed me to play for so long, too, is um, I was a very coachable player. Um, I was I was willing to take feedback, whether it was good feedback or some criticism or, you know, always, I always just wanted to learn more to get better, you know, little, little details that could help me um, be a better passer, you know, get open more help and support my teammates. And I think um, that was one of the things that I, or that helped me grow and develop as a player was that I was willing to listen to what my coaches were telling me and apply it to the games. And I think that helped me grow um, just with my confidence, knowing that I could do these things because I had done them so many times in practice. And um, yeah, I think that, I think that was probably my biggest thing that helped me get to where I am and helped me accomplish some, some really spectacular things in college as well. Mm -hmm. Obviously I think being a coachable player is definitely a key factor in Kind of building yourself as a player because obviously club soccer and college are very different and the tr- the transition is going to be hard at first but obviously if you're going to be someone who kind of develops through different things that your coach says the sky's the limit um, and i also think that consistency is definitely a factor in creating opportunities for yourself within the game so how did you mentally prepare before games or practices and consistently have a focused mindset every time you stepped on the pitch? Um, 
I mean, I'll say, I'll say like my freshman year, like I was, I was not consistent. Um, and you know, I, I was playing on the left side, which I'm, I'm a right footed player. Like my left foot is like not even close to where my right foot is. And so that was, um, kind of a challenge for me. And that was something that I put in my like off season training was like, I need to get better at my left foot. Like I need to be more consistent. I need to practice it. And so a lot of those things is just going back to some of the basics. Um, and just, so I would, I would go in and I would stand two feet away from the wall and I would just one touch passive at the inside with my left foot, just to kind of get that rhythm. I would do the, like a hundred, hundred of those passes, take a break, do another hundred, um, take a break. And then I would back it up a little bit, or maybe it wasn't a hundred passes, it was like 50. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like thinking about that now, like hundred passes a lot and that's tiring. Um, but I, I knew that I had to, if I was going to get confident in, these little things of passing, which as a center back in college, passing is a big thing. Mm-hmm. You, you ought to be able to pass. Um, and so I would go in and I would work on these little things on my own. Um, just some of the basic things. So it'd be like, I'd be two feet away from the wall. Then I back up, I go five feet away from the wall and then I go 10 feet and then 20 feet. And then I would just gradually build up to the point where I was hitting consistent passes at the same spot on the wall. Um, and so then when I would go into practices or into game scenarios, um, it just got to be something that I didn't even have to think about where I was like, oh, a short five, like one touch, five foot pass away from me to my center mid like that. It didn't even like cross my mind of like, okay, like I need to do this. I need to like pass there. It was just kind of like, I had just done it so many times on my own in a, and like ga- uh, gained confidence for myself in that, that it just became easy to translate over to that. And so um, I think, I think having done those own individual sessions with myself where there was no pressure, there wasn't somebody telling me like I was hitting the ball wrong or anything like that, that just kind of gave me the confidence to then go in. And um, so then when I would go into practice, I had that individual confidence already. So then um, it would just continue to grow that my consistency within practice then grew and everything like that. And um in the long run that, that paid a lot of dividends for me. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely something to think about just in general, as a soccer player, kind of taking challenges as opportunities. Like you said, your left foot, it was a challenge at first, but you took matters into your own hands and took control of what you thought you needed to do to improve. And like you said, it wasn't even something to think about after you practiced and practiced and practiced it. Um, And I think another challenge is also kind of overcoming injuries. And I also noticed that that happened to you, a season ending injury during your junior year at Nebraska. How were you Mm -hmm. able to overcome that and continue to your path of success? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think anybody that's ever had any kind of season ending injury, any kind of surgery, they, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about, but for the people who haven't, um, that whole process is a lot more on the mental side than it is physically. Um, Jess, I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever gone through an ACL or any kind of season ending injury? I have personally never gone through like an injury where it's like the recovery is like six to eight months or over a year, but I've, well, I hope you never have to. (laughs) I, I truly, I, I would never wish this on anybody just because it is, it is a lot more of the mental aspect of it than it is the physical aspect of it. Um, 
and mentally you have to tell yourself that the things that you're doing aren't, isn't going to hurt your body or it's not going to hurt your knee. And so that's another challenge too with it. Um, but I kind of have to like, I had, I had never really like thought about it until now, but I guess like, you know, when I would go in and like when I was a freshman and sophomore and I'd go in and do these own individual sessions of myself and I would just repetitive, repetitively had to do these simple little tasks. I actually think kind of prepared me for the things I had to do in rehab because, um, so mine was an ACL meniscus tear. And so it was like a nine month process. And for the first three to four months, couldn't run or anything like that. And so every single day in rehab, I had to go in and I had to do the exact same exercises, um, with a, with a BFR, which is blood flow restriction, um, which is the (laughs) absolute worst. I, it's like my least favorite machine. I, I hate thinking about it, but, um, for those who don't know what a blood flow restriction is, it's kind of like when you go and get your blood pressure taken at a doctor, your leg's except literally purple. <laughs> your leg is literally purple and you, you can't feel anything, but it tricks your body into thinking that you are doing more work or you're lifting more weight than you actually are. So they would put like a five pound ankle weight on my leg. It felt like I was lifting 30 pounds, but it's five, it's five pounds. And it's just, yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things you kind of have to experience for yourself, uh, to know what it feels like, but it's, it's painful. Um, you usually don't go more than like five minutes at a time with it squeezing your leg because otherwise it's just like, it's just, it just gets, it's awful. It just gets like unbearable. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, with any kind of long-term recovery, a lot of it is the mental side of it of, Every single day you're going to show up, you know what you're going to do. It's going to be boring because you just did the same thing you did yesterday, but you, you still have to push yourself every single day in order to get better. You know, there's going to, and don't get me wrong. There's, there's some days that sucked. There was some days where I did worse than the day before. And I would just get so frustrated with myself because I was, I wasn't doing simple things that I, that I as like a high performance athlete should be able to do. Like, um, so like for the first six weeks, first four to six weeks, I couldn't walk because I was non-weight bearing. And so then when I could finally walk, I had to relearn how to walk. And I would get so frustrated because I, I was like, oh, I was like, why does it hurt to walk? Like, I don't, I don't, it was hard for me to process that. Cause I, it was my first major injury. I'd never been hurt before. Um, and then, you know, when you're going into rehab and I'm like, why can't, why can't I get my knee to bend? Why does it hurt so much to bend? And it was, um, so there were, there were some days that in rehab were, were really hard. And, um, you know, also throughout that process, sometimes it's, it's isolating just because you're in the rehab room every day and your friends are out kicking a soccer ball. And, and I'm like, I'd give anything to be out there with them, even if it's like the worst possible drill that you're just like dying. And like, I would have given anything to be out there. And, um, but I'd be, I'd be in the rehab room by myself and just like frustrated and everything. And, um, you know, so it's, it's definitely a mental battle with yourself more often than not. Um, and it's really just, you know, you, you have to, you have to do these things if you want to get to the next part, which for me was running. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do this BFR every day. I'm going to do a hundred straight leg raises, which were, oh my gosh, I hated those. Um, you know, and in order to get to be able to run, cause then once I got to run, then it was like, okay, then my next step is like, then I could like juggle a soccer ball. And then it was like, I could kick a soccer ball. And it's like, um, it just kind of teaches you this discipline of like, you know what, 
I know you don't want to do it, but like, if you want to get to where you want to be, you, you kind of have to just buckle down and do it. Um, and you know, some days, some days are going to be better than others. Some days are going to go better than others. And, um, you know, some weeks you're going to see improvements, some week you're going to see stagnant and, um, it's just kind of this own little battle with yourself to how much can you push yourself, but then also like realizing like, you know what, I'm doing my best. And, um, you know, everybody's different on the timetable. There's some people that have very, very quick recovery. Some people's recoveries takes a little bit longer. It's just, everybody's different. And so not trying to compare yourself to like a, a like a, what's the word, a standard timeline of like what it is for a knee injury. Um, I think was also big for me as well was just understanding like my body doesn't heal the same way that everybody else's does. So um, yeah, it's a mental battle, but I, I think, I think having done all those like little sessions with myself of just like doing these little things in order to see the bigger picture, I think was, I think was huge for me in my recovery with that. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously making small goals for yourself, Mm -hmm. I think in the long run will just help you kind of understand how grateful you are to get the opportunity to play. Like, I think, I mean, I've never gone through it, but like spending those like nine months out, you kind of reflect and you're like, okay, I, like you said before, you were talking about, I would give anything to go through like the worst practice ever, mm-hmm. like literally dying on the soccer field. Um, yep. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that and people take soccer for granted. And then once it's gone, it's like, wait, I mm-hmm. like, I need it back, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, you know, I've, I, I had had friends that had gone through it before I had some that had gone through it multiple times and I never had like under, I never understood like the things that they would talk about. And I'm like, Oh, like, eh, it's not too bad. Like, but then like you go through yourself and you're like, all right, no, this is like way worse than I ever thought it was. And you're just kind of like, and then you just kind of, it's like the, I'm not going to say it's like this, like secret club. Cause like, I don't like, I don't want anybody to like be in this club, but it's just like, then like when you talk to other people that have been through it, like you just kind of relate mm-hmm. on this different level of like knowing what the other one had to go through. And, um, I mean, it, there's just kind of like this bond and like, especially like when you meet new teammates that have gone through, it, it's like a, I don't even want to say it's like a special bond because it sucks, but like, <laughs> but it's just like this, it's like this weird, it's this weird bond of like, you just, you just understand like what people have gone through and and it it helps like knowing someone else that's gone through it just because like it's easy to talk to someone like that yeah exactly exactly I mean it's definitely a journey that you don't really want to take but then you come out kind of in my opinion as a better player and I mean I actually interviewed um my teammate a couple weeks ago about she Mm -hmm. tore ACL twice Mm -hmm. and um she was just talking about the different silver linings within her recovery process Mm -hmm. and how she was able to kind of figure out different silver linings on what she can see throughout um, her recovery, like being able to coach the defenders on the field Mm -hmm. because she can like see everything when she's on the sidelines, you know? Yep. Um, So that's definitely a positive as much as it does suck. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I would do as well. Because, um, I think in the first couple months I was like, when I was in the rehab room, like I, I was kind of just like stuck feeling sorry for myself. I didn't want to be at practice. Cause it would just make me sad. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I, 
I just like want to be out there so badly. But then it was kind of like, okay, like as I got to do more things and I was getting a little bit more involved, I was like, I, I still can be a good teammate. Like I can still be giving younger players advice. And so I would like stand behind the goal and practice and I would help the the defensive line and like, and give them advice on um, different things that they should look for. And I, and it helped keep me engaged because it also just allowed me to learn and read the game better because for once I was like, I didn't have to worry about like, you know, diff- like marking someone like running behind me or like, where's the next pass going to go? I could actually just like stop and see everything for a second. So mm-hmm. I think that was a silver lining too, was like, it made me a better soccer player just because I could, I had more time to analyze things and see yeah, different exactly. things at like a, not like a slower pace, but I just like could focus on one thing rather than having to focus on like six different things at a time. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, reflecting off of your college career, what do you think set you apart from the rest that enabled you to have the opportunity to play for the NWSL? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a competitor. Like I, I literally compete in everything. Like it's, it's kind of a problem sometimes, like even just like things off the field or anything like that. Like I, I wanted to compete so badly and like, I just like wanted my team to do the best. Like, I didn't really care like if I won, but like, I just like wanted my team to like do the best that we could. Um, So I think, I think everybody could just like see, like I was going to give every single thing in every game. Um, And I I was someone who I was like, I want to be on the ball. Like I want to be creating. I want to help my teammates. I want to put them in good spots. Like I want to help us in whatever way possible, shape or form. And so I, I didn't care if I, if I had to like switch positions or like I had to attack more, I had to defend more. I didn't care. I was like, I will do whatever it takes to help us win or help us compete. Um, And I think that is like something that helped me get to where I am because when you get to the NWSL, like a lot of the times teams want to take players that are versatile and they can play multiple positions because it's, I mean, it's hard to get on an NWSL roster. You know, there's girls that are, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even say girls. There are women that are 34 on the team that I play on. And so they have so much more experience than I do. And so it's going to be hard to beat out somebody that has more experience in the league at the speed and the strength at that level. And so um, if I'm able to, you know, give depth at another position, but then, you know, just like being able to do that, I think, and adapt so quickly is, I think is what helped me get to where I am. Um, and like I said, I, I was a very coachable player. I wanted to get better and, you know, I'm taking that feedback. And so when a coach came up to me and was like, Hey, can you play, can you play defensive center mid? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I wasn't like, Oh, I've never like played that before. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like whatever, whatever I can do to help the team. Mm -hmm. I think really, I think that's what helped me was that I was able to play multiple positions. I was coachable, um, And I just like have, I just like had that competitive drive to get better and to succeed. And um, I think that's like, I think that's what showed on the field as well. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what's allowed me to get to where I am today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, being competitive, I think is a huge factor in Mm -hmm. playing pro after college, because if you're going to step onto the field, just relaxed and like not really care it's just not going to work out, you know? Oh, they'll eat you apart. They'll eat you apart at this league. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine, obviously I'm Mm. not there, but (laughs) 
but yeah, yeah it's it's a it's a different kind of competitiveness here just every because I, I think we mentioned earlier like the jump from high school to college is is one thing with the speed and the strength and all that but then the jump from college to pro is like another level and um so it's like you got it you have to be willing to go in there and compete for every single thing because if you are like kind of lackadaisical and just kind of like oh I'll kind of go into this topic you're you're gonna yeah. get yeah. you're gonna get destroyed <laughs> Yeah. How's the, like, what's the difference between the, uh, speed of play and just overall like playing style? Ooh. Um, I, it's just, it is, it is a lot faster, but it's also just because every single person in this league is technically sound, Mm -hmm. knows how to read offenses and defenses, just understands like the tactical side of things and just how to like read the game, how to slow it down, how to speed it up. Um, and just like everybody in this league is good every single person like there's like no weak points and so um that definitely also like makes it difficult is that every single person's good like it's not like teams really have weak links and so well yeah um, when you think about it it's like they're taking a group of the best players in college mm-hmm. soccer who are yep. also really good players regardless being in college soccer and you're putting mm-hmm. them in like a pile of like a bunch of teams and yeah sure it's just insane and then you have like like I said you have I there's girls on my team that are 10 to 12 years older than me so they have more experience and have had more conditioning more uh strength training than I do there's some girls that have um some biceps that are just bigger than me like just absolutely big and it's amazing I think it's I think it's so cool and um so then it's just like when you get into this, like everybody's stronger, everybody's faster. And so when you combine those two at this level and you have everybody who can do that, it just like ups the speed of play and, and the strength you need on the ball. You need to be more tactically aware of where you are on the field and like who's coming behind you, who's in front of you. Um, every and Yeah, everybody just moves faster. And so it just... Um, it just makes it more that I think that's what ups the speed of play for sure is that everybody is everybody just like knows how to read the game faster as well so that that definitely also plays into it and so you have to then up your reading of the game and where's the ball going to go next where do I need to be next and it it just has to be like that much quicker Um, so that's definitely a huge adjustment when going to the pro level yeah and then like speaking of just all these incredible players that you're competing or being teammates with how does it feel being with like high caliber players like Jess McDonald Sam Hewitt and like Abby Dahlkemper um first of all they're just like outside of soccer they're just amazing people and I think a lot of people you know they look they look at all these like soccer superstars and you know they idolize them but I I also just want like they're also just like normal people just like us which is fantastic and so they they're great teammates they are I walked in and they were so welcoming, walked right up, introduced themselves. And I'm like, Oh yeah. I I mean, I know who you are, but it's just (laughs) like, I, that just kind of like spoke volumes to me. It was like, hi, like Jess, like, hi, I'm Jess McDonald. And like, what's your name? And like, would make the effort to like, learn my name. I think that's huge. And, um, you know, in practice, they are people that give feedback all the time. They're helping you, um, you know, at North Carolina, we have some very difficult passing patterns that are just hard to get sometimes and I I have I have screwed up some passing patterns before just because um and like Sam is someone who 
is like coaching me throughout it. Like sync, go here, sync, turn here, use this foot, go that way all the time. And then it's like, if I do something great, she's like, sync, that's great. Like, awesome. And, you know, Abby Dahlkemper does the same thing, especially like when we're in play, like when we're playing 5v5 or like 7v7 or anything like that, she's great at giving feedback and everything like that. And, um, you know, when you have players like that around you, you want to play better for them, but they also just make you better because they have such high standards and they hold you accountable just like any other person. Um, so they, they're fantastic teammates. Like I love playing with them and, um, you know, just being around them makes you better and mm-hmm. training with them makes you better. And, um, so I'm very, very thankful to have teammates like that, but you know, they're also just like, they're also just great people. They're, they're super fun to hang out with out, off the field. Um, you know, when we we're in the challenge cup, we're in a bubble for three to four weeks. Couldn't really do anything. Couldn't really socialize with anybody outside of our team. And so, we would play mafia. I don't know if you've ever played that game before, but uh, Maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, so we, we would like convince everybody, the young players, like the rookies on the team, like we're all 22. We would convince people to play mafia with us. And we would get like 21 out of 26 people on the team to play mafia, which is like this ridiculous game. And we would play it for like two hours. We're all like screaming at each other, like trying to figure out who's in the mafia. And like Sam Mewis is like the most deceptive person I've like in this game like she's like un like just unreal in this game like she could just deceive everyone and it's the funniest thing because it's like Sam's like one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet and then you get into this game and like she could like lie throughout everything we're like "Mm, I don't know if we can trust Sam anymore (laughs) but it was fun like it was it was a good experience like everybody like it's a very good team culture and um like those three are definitely like big parts of like driving the team culture and making sure everybody has a voice is included and is heard. And, and that's something I really, really appreciated going in. Yeah. I think this like goes into play with whatever level you're at. If you have veteran players who are leading you, like you said, you're only going to get better and you need, I think, especially like having older players on your team, it's so important for them to support you and continue to, like you said, hold you accountable because Mm -hmm. if they're constantly putting you down, like, I feel like it's just, I mean, I feel like I wouldn't get better. I feel like I, my confidence would be like at a low, a low, you know? And yeah, like- absolutely. And that's, hu- that's huge in college as well as, um, you know, that was something I experienced as well as at Nebraska. It was, uh, it was player driven culture. Our, our coach put that on to us of like, you know, you guys are the ones that are competing with each other on the field, but like you guys are teammates he's like, he's like, I'm not the one on the field doing all the work. Like I will help prepare you guys, but you guys are the ones that have to work together. And so like the team sets the rules, the team makes the culture like that's, and that's a huge thing. And it's like every single person on a team should have a voice. Like it shouldn't just be one person dictating all the rules or telling every single person like what they're doing wrong. No, it needs to be that, you know, someone who's a first year player could tell a fourth year player, like if they, um, like weren't giving everything and, and it shouldn't be like a, oh, how dare they like, like, what are they? No, it shouldn't. It, it should be like, you know what? My teammate expects the most out of me and my teammate wants me to get better. So I'll be like, you know what? You're right. Like the next, the next time that situation's up, like I'm giving my everything like in a tackle or anything like that. Um, and that was huge. I think, um, you know, like my freshman year, I think it was different for me my freshman year. Cause my sister was on the team as a senior at Nebraska. And so we already had like that sisterly bomb where I 
I could say whatever I wanted to her and she could say whatever she wanted me just because like family atmosphere but um but they were like that with all the freshmen you know they expected the most out of them and if they weren't doing something right then the other freshmen would be like hey like you got to give more and they're like yep you're right Mm -hmm. and I think that's I think that's huge and that was something um like as I got older like I also understood it's like I I can't ask my teammate to do something that I myself wouldn't do and I think that's like a huge motto and I think um for a lot of people, you know, that are emerging leaders on a team or anything like that. Um, you know, you, you, you can't be yelling at people about like doing something if like, if you're not going to do it, yeah, like, exactly. and so like, if you're, if you're not going to go to ground to block a shot, like, can you really be yelling at your teammate who didn't go to the ground to block a shot? It, like, if you're not going to do it. And so it's, I, I think that's like a huge thing when you're like, learning to be a good member of the team or a leader is that's like always like my one piece of advice is like you you can't expect somebody else to do something that you're not willing to do Mm -hmm. um and you and you you have to show that you're willing to do it in practice and um like when you show those things and you you work hard and everything like that like people you know people respect that and and I think that's a huge thing especially in college soccer is like I know like sometimes freshmen come in and they're afraid to like correct a senior or something or like give feedback on something but um you know those relationships are also formed off the field and that comfortability um and so I think that's just like a huge thing I just I I I hear like a lot of stories of like you know like whenever I come back into town and I see like the girls that have gone to college and and they'll talk about and they're like oh like I don't really know the seniors that well or like I don't really talk to the juniors I'm like oh that just makes me sad like I I don't know. I've just always been like a person where I'm like, everybody should know everybody on their team should know like the basic facts about everybody on their team and like should be able to like have some form of conversation with everybody on their team. And and I'm always like, guys, like sometimes just like put yourself out there, like off the field, be like, Hey, like I saw you like this. I like this too. I don't know. It's just kind of like, I think that helps like form that bond on the field as well as if you can like kind is if you can create more of a friendship bond off the field as well. Yeah, exactly. I think that team culture is so important. And regardless of what, like, let's just say you are like a medium to your team in the division one level. If you have chemistry, you could compete with the top tier teams in the division mm-hmm. one level, because regardless if you have all the talent in the world your team's not going to be good unless you have the chemistry and the team culture that I mean just brings the team together and that's not going to happen unless you have the freshmen and the seniors interacting or just the whole team as a whole you know Mm -hmm. agreed 100% agreed yeah so I want to backtrack to your time during the draft process can you kind of explain the draft process? You got drafted in 2020, correct? Yes. And um, also that was during COVID when everything shut down. Um, <laughs> I do think that's the same year. Like I, yeah, I, that I was, seems I, like three years ago. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, 2020 is this year. <laughs> um, so can you kind of go over the draft process and yeah, just everything leading up to the draft day? Yeah. Um, so the draft win draft portal i think is like what it's called um opens at like the beginning to mid december Mm -hmm. um 
And so the draft portal is when you register for the draft. And um, in order to do so, you you either need to be like a, someone that's already exhausted their eligibility, um, like coming out of college, or if you're going to like, there's been like a handful of players that have left college early to enter the draft. Yeah. Um, so if you're someone that's going to forego the rest of your remaining eligibility, then you would enter the draft as well. Um, so like the thing about the draft is if, if you are like, haven't played in the league before, like haven't played professional before, if you want to play in the NWSL, like even if you're like, you're like planning on going overseas, if you want to like play in the NWSL for that next year, you like have to enter your name in the draft Mm -hmm. because you, because like otherwise like people could like bypass it by like not entering, signing overseas, like a short-term contract and then like negotiating a, a contract to come back to like whatever team they wanted. And so like, that's just like, that's just like something as well. Um, is that like, if you are like entering a new professional career, like whether like, if you're going to go overseas, like, like still just like enter your name in, Mm -hmm. um, just because then it's like, okay, if you like perform really well, like in three months, like overseas and NWSL team wants you and like, you want to come back. Like if you, if your name wasn't already in the draft, then they like, couldn't sign you. Like you couldn't come back until like the next season. Mm-hmm. So like, that's like, just like a little tidbit, like that, like not a lot of people know about. Um, but anyway, so the draft when n- draft portal, sorry, is like open for a month. Okay. And I, so you could like, you could still register for the draft up until the day before the draft. Um, and so I want to say, I don't remember how many people registered last year. I want to say it was like 150 to 200. Ugh, I might be off on that, but I'm, I'm just like guesstimating. Um, so then the, like the draft takes place the same place as the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which is usually like when the All-American Banquet is. So there's usually like a lot of the top players who more than likely would get drafted if they're going into the draft or like already there and stuff. Um, so then you have like draft day process and there's, so last year, since there was nine teams, there was four rounds, 36 total picks. Um, and then, so it, it's, it's kind of, I'm trying to like think it's not like completely the same as like, if you ever watched like the NFL draft or the NBA draft, you know, like where they call the players like right before they draft them. Okay. Yeah. That, I thought that's that not, was- yeah. Okay. It's not like, I mean, maybe it is like for some other people, like it wasn't for me, which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> but so. Wait, how did you, like, how did you find out then that you were? Um, well, okay. So like I had, I had entered and then um you know the the weeks leading up you know there's there's some like soccer beat writers that like make their own mock drafts of like who they think is going to get drafted to what team like where and all that um and I I really tried not to like listen too much to those because like some people had me at like number 15 overall some people had me like just outside of getting drafted like at like number 40 Mm -hmm. and so it's just kind of like you here's the thing you're never gonna know what happens until draft day. last minute okay and like it and it actually happens because like there was there was some shakeups because teams will also trade picks on draft day so it's like you really can never predict these things um and so 
you know, in the weeks leading up, like my college coach had done a lot of um, calling all, mm-hmm. the, all the teams, GMs and everything like that. My former club coach also did a lot um, because he knew all the GMs in the league. And so he, he was like a very good advocate for me. And I'm very, very thankful for both of them because they went, went above and beyond in, in helping get my name out there. And um, so about like the, so the day before the draft, my college coach had called me and he was like, okay, there's like four teams that I, that are like seriously interested in you that have asked like certain questions that I know just like from having done this for a while, like they, they have actual interest in you and wanting to draft you. And, um, but he, but he would also just like remind me, it's like, but also just keep in mind, like in case you don't get drafted, like it's not the end of like making it on an NWSL team. There's, there's so many stories in the NWSL of people that, you know, just got an invite to preseason from not being drafted and made it on the team. My sister being one of them. Um, there's the great story of like, of Jennifer Cujo. I don't know if you know who that is, but Mm -hmm. she, went to open tryouts at sky blue and then she got the invite to preseason and so like she went there and then she made she was on contract and you know like had a really great challenge cup and um then i think she got she ended up getting taken in the expansion draft to louisville so it's just like that's just like such a great story yeah um you know or like bethany balser who played at an nai school that not a ton of people had heard about she didn't get drafted she went to Seattle and then she ended up being the NWSL rookie of the year. Like that's just, it. I it's just that. like so many great stories. I love it. I love those stories. Um, and so he was just like really good at reminding me that it's like, Hey, like, obviously it's cool to get drafted, but like, if you don't, like, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have someone in your own household who's like a walking testament to that. And I was like that. Yeah, you're right. And he's like, but with that being said, like, I have a good feeling you would go like late second or third round. And I was like, okay. So I was like, I'll keep that in mind. But again, like, I don't want to get like too over-invested into it to the point where then it's like, if it doesn't happen, then I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know, like upset about it. And so we get to draft day. Um, I I didn't end up going to the draft. Okay. There's there's players that'll go to the draft. And because I was like, I, I was like, I don't know. Like, I like it could go either way. Like I could get drafted. I could not. And I was like, yeah. I... Do people get selected to go there or is it just like, I'm going to go just to go? Yeah. Like anybody who registers for the draft, like can go or like, if you're like in the area, like you can just like go. Um, And so like it was in Baltimore. So I'm in Kansas. So that's just like a little bit of a ways. And I was like, "Eh, that's a lot to invest in. And and then if I don't get drafted, that's just kind of awkward, but it's fine. (laughs) I, it, it happens. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm okay with staying at home, watching it with my mom and my sister. And, um, you know, so we're, we're going through the draft. My, my club coach had been texting me the whole time because that was the one who he'd made calls to me. And he was like giving me his thoughts, like during the draft of like, Oh, like that's an interesting pick or, or all this. And so then, so like, we're going through the draft and, you know, one by one, it's usually like teams in the first and second round have 10 minutes to make a pick. Okay. And then when you get to the third and fourth rounds, I think it goes down to five minutes mm-hmm. um, in between each picks. And, you know, that like teams can call timeouts and, and all these things, then they can like work trades or whatever. Um, so, you know, we, we go through the first round, um, we get to like midway through the second round and there's like, there's a pause. Somebody had called a timeout and my, my 
coach starts texting me and he was like, oh, I just got off the phone with this owner. And he was like, they, they're trying to trade up to draft you. And he's like, can you play outside back? Which I haven't played outside back in like a couple of years. And I was like, I was like, yep, (laughs) like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Like, I will like figure out how to play outside back and run way more than I've ever run. And I was like, I was like, yes, like, I'll do it. And so, um, the, the team who like had the pick ended up like, I guess they didn't like the trade offers. They were like, no. And then they just like went ahead and drafted. And so then I was like, okay, well, like I thought I was going to go to this team. And then by the end of the second round, my, he texted me again and he was like, Hey, are you at the draft? And I was like, no, I'm at home. And, and he was like, okay. Like Paul Riley just asked. And he was like, they're going to draft you. And Uh so so I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, this is happening. Um, and so I knew that North Carolina had the last pick of the third round. Mm-hmm. And so, so they, he, so my coach told me this at the end of the second round. So then I had to like go through the whole third round and, and he was like, okay, barring anybody else, like drafting you, like Paul's, Paul's going to take you. And so I looked at like who had picks that round and, and like, I'm keeping in mind, like the day before my coach, my college coach had was like, these four teams are introduced. All of them had picks before North Carolina. And I was like, I was like, okay. So every time we get like, get to, I was like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) And so then like, we get to like two picks before it was like the last team that had like expressed interest in me and they took someone else. And I was like, all right, I'm going to North Carolina. Like, this is going to be, this is gonna be awesome. And um and so then you know they they call my name like my sister and I are jumping and screaming I'm like I just was like I just like couldn't stop smiling like I couldn't believe it this is this is something I had dreamed about um since the league first started and and I and you know I my my ACL was at the end of my junior year and I fought back to get to my senior year and I was like this this is what all of that work was for was to get to this moment and to you know, hear my name called on draft day. And I, I just like, couldn't believe it. And I, I was so excited to go to a place like North Carolina, just because I, I knew their culture was great. I knew their development for young players was going to be great. And I knew I was going to be challenged and I knew, um, however much time I got to spend there that like, I was going to come out as a better player. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And then my, like my other favorite part of draft day that I love to tell people is, um, so I didn't realize that North Carolina also had the first pick of the fourth round. Oh, okay. So right after that. And they ended up drafting my, my, my club teammate from high school. And oh we, my had been, we had been working out together all that off season. And so like, we went back to back picks together. And so like when, when I got drafted, she's like texting me congrats and everything. And then when they started the fourth round, they take her and I was like, Oh my gosh, like we get to go together and we ended up like rooming together through there. And it was just such a great experience. And it was just like, so funny that, you know, just like the fates aligned on that, that we got to go together and start a professional career together. And, um, just like, and she, we had played together since we were 10 years old. So it was just kind of like this cute little story of like, oh, the two, the two Kansas city kids somehow end up in North Carolina together. And, um, so very, very thankful for that. And, um, after they drafted me, then Paul probably called me like 10 minutes after they drafted me and was like, you know, we're so excited to have you. We're so, we're so ready to get here and work with you. And, you know, you just gotta, you gotta come ready, ready to work, ready to learn. 
And I was just like, any, like anything you say, like I, I will do it. And I, I just like, couldn't believe it. And it's, it's just like such a cool experience that I'm very, very thankful to have gotten taken part or to have taken part in. God, I can't stop smiling. That's such a great story. Oh, thank you. Oh yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love like the thrill of it, like the tension mm-hmm. throughout the whole draft. I mean, obviously like the tension, like is kind of scary at the same time. Oh, yeah. But then like, once you get picked, I'm sure like all this weight is like lifted off mm-hmm. your shoulders and like, it's oh, yeah. the best feeling ever. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's great to celebrate. And then the next day you're like, all right, let's get to work. Like got to prepare. It was like six weeks later, I was going in for preseason. And, um, so it's, it's like a great, it's a great in the moment feeling. And I'm very, very thankful for it. And cause I mean, so only so many people get to experience that every year. And, um, I'm very, very fortunate that I was one of them. And, um, but I also, I also knew it was like, you know what, either way, like if I got drafted, I didn't like, I was gonna, I was gonna find a way to get into a training camp and like work for things. And, um, and so it, it, it's like, it's a great experience. It's kind of just like one of those, um, uh, I'm trying to, uh, I can't think of it, but like, I mean, I, I tell that story about like me and Addie, like getting drafted back to get back. And it just is kind of like, that just sounds like a fairy tale. Like it's just crazy. And, and so I, I love, I love telling that story, but it's also just like something I'm very, very thankful for to have experienced and I think it's just something I'll never forget. I'll, I'll never forget that feeling on draft day for sure. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, and then you're saying you start preseason, what, six weeks later. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yep. So like I said before, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. How, how was preseason? Like what, what did that entail because of COVID? Yeah. So actually like not a lot of people know this, but I actually, like found out that there was like something wrong with my meniscus like going into preseason so I like went out at the beginning of March and got checked out by their doc and I actually ended up getting a scope like a week into preseason Mm -hmm. and we actually only got a week into preseason before then it was like everything shut down everybody's like like the stay-at-home orders were starting to come in like all the different NWSL clubs were like shutting down and the club was like, or the league had actually told all of the players that weren't under contract to return home. Cause they were like, we don't actually know how long this is going mm-hmm. to be in place. And, and so like, we were out there, like we weren't under contract at the time. So we weren't getting paid. And they were like, they were like, we can't ask you to like stay out here for an unspecified amount of time, like not getting paid. And they were like, you guys should go home and be with your families. And so COVID actually was kind of a blessing in disguise for me mm-hmm. because I had just had a scope. So then I was like, I was going to be like a four to six week recovery. Anyways, it was going to take me four weeks just to run again. And so I, so like I had my surgery and then two weeks or not two weeks, two days later, my mom and I drove back to Kansas um, and then stayed there. And um, so I was just doing, I was doing rehab throughout all of COVID, but I know for other players it was pretty disruptive just because you know everybody had 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 that I think we started on March 9th I'm gonna say March 9th um everybody had had that date on their mind of like I'm gonna be physically ready mentally ready I'm ready to go let's get the season started and so I know players came in and they were they were ready they were in great shape they were mentally ready they were prepared and you know some people had big goals for the year and then 
you get a weekend and you get shut down and then it's like okay I still I but I still have to like work out every single day and like maintain this top fitness and all of this and but I don't even know like when we're gonna start again and um so I know that was that was really difficult for a lot of players was just to maintain that level of training with the unknown of what can we even do Mm -hmm. or like what are we working towards um and so you know like I, I give credit to Paul. He did a really good job of trying to check in with players as much as possible, just to see how they were doing, you know, asking about their families and, and always offering help if anybody needed it. But they would send workouts every single day for households to do, which is what the league allowed for people to do. Like you couldn't really see anybody outside your household. Oh so God. there was like girls on the team who just lived in two person apartments. And so like they only could see their roommate, like they couldn't go interact with anybody else on the team because it was still in the early phases of the unknown of, you know, like how quickly does this spread? Like, how do you know if you have it? Like all these things, we didn't have tests yet. And um, so I know that was, that was pretty hard for people. And, um, you know, they would just have to go do these two person workouts. Um, and then, and like Paul would try to, you know, like there was one time, like we had like a team Kahoot. Oh, I which love was like, which was like funny. I know. I love Kahoot too. Um, and it was like, okay, we're going to play it. Like how well do you know your teammates? And so like everybody had to like send in things about themselves. I had like not met half these people on the team. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, they, like, they were not going to know who I was. And, um, but it was just kind of like fun to like, I don't know. You kind of just got like a sense of some people's personalities on the team by like figuring out what their like secret hidden talents were. And it's just kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely difficult. And then there was just a lot of like, there was just a lot of unknown answers. And I think a lot of people can agree with that. You know, I, I still talked to all the, the college soccer people at the time. And it was like, spring season's canceled. Like, okay. Like we're transitioning to online school now. Like, yeah. um, and like having to take finals online or, oh my gosh, I was like, I, I give a lot of credit to all the college students because I was like, I'm very thankful. I graduated in December. I didn't have to deal with trying to finish out my senior year online. Mm-hmm. So like credit to all of you because I don't think I could have done it. And, um, and you know, it just, I, I felt really bad because I know people had internships lined up. They had jobs planned for right after school. And then it was like, oh, like I know like the spring sport athletes, it was like, okay, we're going to give them an extra year of eligibility. But I know there was people that had things lined up to start right when their, their season's done. And so that was, I know that was stressful for a lot of people to figure out, okay, do I take my last year or do I just not get to say goodbye to my sport the way that I wanted to and just move on to the next phase of my life? I know that was hard for people. And, um, you know, so I, I, I think it's just, there's, there was a lot of unknown. And I think that was definitely a big stressor for a lot of players. And then it wasn't until like mid May that we started finally getting some, like a little bit of answers of like, okay, I think we're going to try and do a bubble tournament. Um, Okay. Everybody, you're going to have to come back into market. Like in 48 hour, like I literally got a 48 hour notice of like me having to come back to North Carolina. (laughs) And so it was just like, Hey, like we need you to be back this, like within 48 hours, we're booking your flight. This is where you're going to stay. You have to quarantine, you have to do testing. Um, 
and then you're gonna do we're gonna like build up and like the league had this like whole protocol of like building up into full team segments Mm-hmm. And it was like based on, but like every, every market in the league had to be able to like go to the next one. Um, so then it, there was like, we were like in small groups and then we could like work up to like full team. And mm-hmm. um, so then there was that, and we had like a month before we were leaving for the challenge cup. And so, um, so then it was just like, okay, that was just like a mental toll in itself as well of like, everybody had been training every day in pairs for almost two months. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it was like, okay, then we're going to get into small groups and then we're going to get into the full group. And then we're going to go to this bubble tournament and play every three to four days. And so, um, and then it was like in the bubble don't get me wrong. I felt completely safe in the bubble. Like we had zero positive tests ever, like for the whole league, which was amazing. And so I was actually like, I was kind of sad to leave the bubble. Cause I was just like, I just feel so safe here. Like I, I don't even know what the outside world looks like right now. I've just like been in this bubble for so long. Yeah. Well, um, I'm like thinking like, it's probably, that was probably a great way to like bond with your teammates, especially being oh, kind of yes. like trapped together. But then yes. also, I mean, a part of it's also a little draining because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm like in here for a long time. But like you said, yep. like you kind of didn't want to go out because you had this security, like, mm-hmm. okay, like we're safe here. Um, I have my teammates here. <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. And um, I, I definitely like think, you know, as like a first year player coming in, um, I probably wouldn't have made some of the friendships or connections with other people on my team had we not been in this bubble mm-hmm. because so like so we were in a hotel with three other teams but we couldn't inter- we weren't supposed to interact with any other teams like we, the each team had its own floor in the hotel we each had different meeting rooms we all had separate eating times like you had to like anytime you left your team floor you had to wear a mask you had to stay six feet from everybody And so like you, you couldn't ride in the elevator with anybody from another team also like that. It was like, it was like, it was like little things like that. And so like run into other teams, like pass. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. But then it would be like, we'd have to like step back and be like, Hey guys, (laughs) like, and so like, we all had, like, we all had different training times than like, we wouldn't cross paths. Um, and, oh, I just blanked. What was I going to say? um but yeah oh, oh okay so yeah so like for three weeks like we were there for three weeks like I only got to see the inside of the hotel and the training facilities like that that was it like we couldn't do like we couldn't go out anywhere else just because like we we didn't want to like somehow interact with someone outside the bubble and then yeah. like bring it back into the bubble and like shut the whole thing down so um I gotta give credit like as 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 draining as it was like everybody bought into it and everybody understood like hey like we're trying to like keep each other safe as well like this was still at the time like we didn't fully know all the effects of COVID or like any of the long-term things so everybody was like I don't want to get sick so like I'm not trying to do anything stupid that's going to cause that um and so so like I said so like we really only saw the inside of the hotel and the training facility so we would have to get creative of how to keep ourselves entertained because 
you know some like you can only just like sit in your hotel room like by yourself for so long mm-hmm. and just like watch the same things over and over again um so so like I mentioned earlier like the rookies we and like and also like keep in mind like when we were in pre-Utah training in our home market we were also still in a bubble like we really were only supposed to like the grocery store was like pretty much the only thing we were allowed to go to Mm -hmm. and like the training facility and then it was like all that and so like the rookies again like we had to get creative so we were like all right we're gonna have game nights so in our pre-Utah like there was a handful of us like six or seven of us and like on the nights before our off days like we would play card games we would play um bananagrams that was a big one (laughs) um or like code names and so you know, going into you the bubble in Utah, we were like, all right, we're bringing all of our games because we're going to have so much downtime. Like we need to keep ourselves entertained. And um, so like the six of us would always get together in somebody's room and we would be so loud that like everybody passing by like our room would hear us laughing and like, you know, saying all these things. And so every once in a while, someone would poke their head in and they'd be like, what are you guys doing? They definitely want to join in. And we're like, oh, we're playing a card game. Like, do you want to come play? And they're like, yeah, I'm not doing anything else. And then like, eventually we would loot, we would loot more people into our games. And, and like, then they were, they like realized like, we're just having fun. Like, this is something to distract us. It's not soccer. Like we're just playing some card games for fun. And you know, eventually like word would get out and then we would have so many people in like one person's room. We were like, all right, guys, we're going to have to like start going on the meeting room. And, and like one of those games, it was, it was mafia, which is just like ridiculous. Like, it's so funny. Um, mafia is the one where it's like everybody, like, like different cards mean different things. And you pass a card out to every single person. And it's like, if you get this certain card, you're part of the mafia. This person's like the sheriff, this person's the um medic and like everybody like goes to sleep and like the mafia picks a person to kill and then like when everybody wakes up you find out who dies and then you got to figure out who the mafia is like it's just this accusing game and like you got to be able to you gotta be able to lie your way out of things sometimes and people were like mafia like seriously guys but then they started playing it and they were like wait this is so much fun yeah they were so into it and so little by little, like our group would get bigger to the point one time, one time we got the entire team to play. Oh, I love and that, that was just, that was like a mad fest. Like some people were super into it. Some people were kind of like, eh, like this is probably the only time I'll ever play. <laughs> but then like, we would consistently have like 20, 20 out of 26 people playing. And like, it would be like everybody was so intense in it it was hilarious like we were like screaming like it was loud and but then then, like the next day we'd go to practice and we would still be talking about the night before his game of mafia and our coaches would be like all right guys like who was it and we would (laughs) we would be like telling them all the funny things and like how this person deceived this person oh my gosh we we had way too much fun with it and it was just like but again like had we not been in this bubble tournament like I would never have played mafia with half these people because I just don't think they would have been like oh yeah like mafia like let's play I think it was kind of like you know what I'm in this bubble desperate time not doing anything else like I might as well play some mafia um but there was like other things that we would do too and and I got to give credit to um you know the host the Utah and everything um 
they they tried to like put things in the hotel to entertain us like they bought all these ping pong tables for us to use they bought they bought cornhole um they bought like those like that giant checkers thing I don't know what I just giant checkers okay okay. no not checkers four in a row what's it called four in a row what's the the Uh, where you like drop the little I can't think of what it's called oh Oh Tic- my god. No. <laughs> I was gonna say tic-tac-toe, it's not that. <laughs> connect four. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so like giant connect four, like giant outdoor Jenga. And so like w- like teams could go out and like reserve the patio and just like have like everybody would hang out outside and like just play some games. And we actually had some very intense cornhole tournaments as well. That's um, awesome. But it was just like fun, you know. So it, like you just like had to do some like some random fun things just to kind of like relieve yourself and like not have to worry about soccer not have to stress about COVID and all these things and it's like yeah let's play some mafia let's just have some fun with it yeah (laughs) I mean yeah I mean like as much as obviously COVID kind of put a halt to different things throughout your time at Courage so far I feel like there's so many silver linings to everything that has happened so far Mm -hmm. I mean you're clearly describing all these great experiences um being trapped in a bubble and Mm -hmm. when you think about being trapped in a bubble you're like oh my god that sounds awful but in reality it's like no this is like the best way to bond with people this Mm -hmm. made our team it probably made your team even stronger good for sure and you know like when we would get when we got back from the challenge cup like we're still doing like full team hangouts um I mean granted like we couldn't really hang out with anybody else but um it was like it was just like fun like we would try to do like fun group activities like when we got back you know before everybody got or like before like people would go on loans or um people would go home for a little bit because we got a couple weeks off afterwards um so it was just kind of fun um and and for sure like it, it definitely allowed me to make some relationships and friendships with people that I would have been like not like scared to like <laughs> get to know but you know, like sometimes like when, when, when you're trying to hang out with people that are just, that are like 10 to 12 years older than you, like your interests are different, your life experiences are different. And so sometimes it's just like hard to connect and bond with that just like goes for anybody. But I mean, but everybody on the team was like so fun and like willing to like, just kind just like buy into it of like, you know what, this is the situation, but they, but like everybody had fun and like I think every single person, like whenever they're asked about the challenge cup, like they bring up mafia and just like how ridiculous it was that like, we got so into it that it was hilarious. I love that. I feel like your experience at courage so far just seems incredible, regardless of the circumstances of just COVID and everything. Absolutely. Um, And I think just my last question for you is, um, what is one piece of advice you'd give someone looking to continue their career at the professional level Ooh. um I think I've like I've I've definitely said it a ton in here but if you can be coachable and be willing to adjust and you know like work on the okay okay when you're like going to like train and like work on things for yourself like work on things you're not good at Mm-hmm. like be honest with yourself that there's I think every single person you talk to like they know what their weakness is they know what they're not good at but then 
sometimes they're afraid to go and like practice it because they don't want to fail. They don't want to look stupid doing it, but that's how you get better. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why you go and train by yourself. It's so like nobody else can see you. Like it's okay if you mess up like in your individual trainings, like sometimes there's like some times it took me 20 tries before I did it like semi-correctly. And I was like, great progress. And so don't be afraid to go and work on the things you're not good at. And then when you get like a little bit more comfortable with it, don't be afraid to try it in practice. There's a reason it's called practice. You're supposed to make mistakes in practice. That's how you grow from them. That's how you understand in the situations what works and what doesn't work. And so like, don't be afraid to take risks in practice. I know like that's scary for a lot of players because they don't want to mess up. They want to look perfect in, in trainings with their teammates in front of their coaches and everything like that. But a lot of the times, a lot of coaches like risk takers mm-hmm. and people who are willing to try things like they don't always want players that are just going to play it safe all the time. Um, granted, there there are times you should not do certain things like don't be trying to pull out like a Maradona on five people like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's probably not the time, but like. But if you've been working on a specific, like if you're an outside player and you're, you've been working on a 1v1 move, like don't be afraid to try it. If you lose the ball, then how you react to it's going to show more about you as a player than like you losing the ball. Like if you lose the ball and you're immediately hightailing it back to help your team on defense, that shows way more about you than like, oh man, like I didn't beat my player 1v1. Like I'm going to sulk about it. No. And so I think like that's a huge thing too is like, don't be afraid to try new things and like how, how you react to things also plays a huge part in like how a coach views you. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also just like be willing to take coaching points, be willing to apply them, be willing to ask questions. Um, And you know, when, when an opportunity comes your way, no matter what it is, be willing to adapt to it. Um, You know, I, I'd been a center back my, entire college career and I got to North Carolina and they were like can you be defensive mid and I wasn't like oh no like I want to be a a center back I was like I was like yes I'm willing to learn Mm -hmm. like if that's if that's what you view me as and like that's what's going to help the team I'm willing to do it and so like I think that's just like a huge thing as well as and I I mentioned it earlier like at when you get to the NWSL or the pro level, like they want versatile players, like that is going to help you get onto a roster, get into a camp as if you can play multiple positions because you never know like what the depth's going to look like. You know, there's, there's national team players that leave for international duty a lot and there's going to be different holes they have to fill. And so if you can plug one of those holes, that helps a ton. Um, so I probably just gave like five different points of advice, but, um, I, I've just like noticed those are big things. Um, you know, having gone through this experience of like, those were things I had to improve on, but those were just things I was willing to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think those would be my biggest points. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I completely, completely agree with you on all those points. Um, especially the one about taking risks Mm -hmm. and working on things that you're not good at because, you're never going to succeed unless you fail. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's it, regardless if you make a mistake, it's about how you react. Are you going to get back on defense or are you going to sulk about it? That Mm -hmm. is like such a huge turnoff for coaches. Um, Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I've been one to do that before. And I'm like, oh, that is not good. So um, yeah, definitely really important points to live by, whether it be in soccer or just in life. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Body language. Sorry. I'm going to throw that in with that with like reactionary body language is a huge tell all to a coach of what kind of player you are Um, at Nebraska. Like our coach was very big on body language and how you react to things. Um, And just because he's like that immediately tells your teammates like everything about you. And and he's like, if you're going to be a good teammate and everything like that, like you've got to have positive, like positive body language, be willing to help. And like, don't just, be like me, 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 me. It is about the team. This is a team sport. Mm -hmm. And so you've always got to be willing to help the team and like body language, like that's a controllable for everybody. Like that's something that is within your control is how you react to things and how like your body language shows up. Just wanted to add that in. No. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think that about does it for our show today, but thank you so much for coming on and your story is so inspiring Mm -hmm. and I cannot wait to watch you at the courage. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad I could be here today. This was fun. Yeah, it was definitely very fun. <laughs> for any listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you want to tune in next week, the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Music, and of course, Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V. Thanks for kicking it with me on the Women's College Soccer Podcast. Yeah. See you next week. Yeah, let me show you how we kicking it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.